This episode is sponsored by the True Underdog Podcast with Jason Waller. Looking for a raw and real podcast with a CEO that has his company on a path to becoming a billion-dollar business? Well, look no further. Check out the True Underdog, hosted by Jason Waller, CEO of Power Home Solar. You will hear the uncut detail of the world's most influential people and their upbringings. His show has featured guests like Shark Tank star Kevin O'Leary, top podcaster Jordan Harbinger, former drug trafficker Rick Freeway Ross, NFL legend Barry Sanders, real estate mogul Grant Cardone, and many more to bring you inspiration. Raised in a trailer park with no clear path to success, kicked out of high school multiple times, and faced with becoming a father in his teens, Waller is the definition of a true underdog. As Waller will tell you, there's no elevator to success. That climb only happens one step at a time. You will learn how to turn excuses into results by doing If you need even more reason to listen to the podcast, here they are. You will hear an incredible underdog story from some of your favorite celebrities. The No Degree Podcast is all about learning from underdogs. Excuses get the best of us, but by listening, you will learn how to turn excuses into results by doing. You will gain motivation to achieve your professional and personal goals. You will hear the raw and uncut details of the world's most influential people and their upbringings. And the number one reason to support Jason's podcast is that Jason does not have a degree. So are you ready? For the fastest growing entrepreneurship and motivational podcast, because Jason Waller is building a movement. Let every true underdog podcast be that step that elevates you. Subscribe to True Underdog Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform to level up your life. That's True Underdog Podcast, hosted by Jason Waller, to learn from the best underdog come up stories. It's right here, right now. Bam! Welcome to episode 97 of the No Degree Podcast. He was forced to say goodbye to the only home he knew. Saif Ali came to the U.S. as a child. He had a good life, friends, a girlfriend, and plans to get a degree in biomedical engineering. But he lost it all because of circumstances beyond his control. He got deported, forced to abandon his plans to go to college so that he could make a living. Within 30 days of being in a new country, he got a job as a digital marketer. Join me as he shares his story and talks about how he bounced back from homelessness and how his first job gave him the foundation for the success he has today as a marketing professional without a college degree. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Every sub is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get the show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today's guest is Saif Ali. And before, that's right, right? Well, I pronounce it Seth. Rhymes with Jeff. Seth? What? Yeah. Damn. You know what? My nephew's <laughs> name is Saif. So that's why. Okay. But before I give him the formal introduction, subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Follow us on social media. You'll find that in the show. So Saif Ali. Seth. Yeah. Yeah. That's Man, it. That's interesting. Pronunciation. Do you mind giving a brief intro of yourself? Yeah, happy to. Uh, so I'm a um, strategy and communications generalist, uh, currently working at a venture-backed B2B marketplace startup uh, out of Karachi, Pakistan, which is where I live, have been for 10 years. Um, I've lived in the States for 10 years. I've lived in the United Arab Emirates for 10 years. Um, so global mindset, you know, local approach. Um, and I am a college dropout uh, and, you know, proud of it. Uh, it's been a crazy journey, but one way or the other, Made it, made it to the top, or my version of the top, at least. <laughs> and when you say crazy, it is legitimately crazy, and the audience will hear it the rest of the episode. But let's kind of take it back. How was high school like for you, and what did you want to be in high school? 
high school uh, was wild. Like, have you seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High? I have not. Okay. Well, it was nothing like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of these 80s flicks. But I mean, I went to this uh, inner city urban high school uh, in Houston, uh, and it was it was named Lee High School, named after Robert E. Lee, uh, oh, you know, man. general general in the Confederacy yeah. in the Civil War. Um, so you can imagine like the symbolism, right? Like growing yeah. up as an immigrant kid going to Lee High School, right? <laughs> um, and our mascot was the general. So we were all Lee generals. It was a very weird environment, um, but it's been renamed since. And, you know, that high school was such a dramatic experience because uh, we had 70 nationalities and 40 languages represented in that school. Wow. Um, so huge, huge immigrant population. Um you know, mostly a, a very impoverished population. And like I was in class with kids that did not speak a word of English because they had just escaped the war in Iraq um, okay. or they were refugees from Sudan um, or they had just moved there from like Albania. Right. No, okay. not what year was this? Uh, I was in high school, 2006, 2010. Um, so Iraq war had just started at that time and, and we were getting a lot of refugees coming in in Houston. Um, and that school was situated in a particular part of town that would attract immigrants in any case. So uh, it was a very you know, challenging experience, like having to you know, work with these kids, collaborate with peers that you know, can't even communicate with you in the same language. Also, in a way, like makes you feel at home because you also know, like I'd been, I'd been in the U.S. Um, I went to the U.S. when I had just started the fourth grade. Right. So. I was pretty well assimilated by high school, but you always know that you're an outsider, right? Like, and you, you can relate to this better than anyone. Um, and so it was kind of nice to be in an environment like that where there were so many outsiders um, where, you know, we were, we were kind of it, like we were the whole student body. And for me, like my direction in high school uh, was that I wanted to go to med school. I wanted to be a doctor. Right. And I remember in my high school, we had like certain sections where you would choose your electives. So you could be in the law section, you could be in the visual arts or performing arts. And I was in health and medicine. Right. Like I was taking anatomy and physiology, I think, junior year preparing for med school. What happened next? What caused the chain? Yeah. After that, um, you know, we my family uh, was living in the U.S. on a very questionable immigration status. Um, I became aware of that at a very young age. And so my planning sort of shifted to become very practical at a very early age because I knew that my time in the U.S. Uh, could be very limited and could be you know, just cut short uh, unceremoniously. So I thought, look, I have this ambition of becoming a doctor, but I have to be more realistic about this. And I then decided to apply to colleges where I could get into a biomedical engineering program, right? So not just pre-med because... The pre-med track, people don't talk about this, but the pre-med track, like if you just complete your undergrad, what you're graduating with is a degree in bio and a degree in bio is absolutely useless on its own, right? So imagine you don't end up going to med school, like you have to leave the country or you can't afford it or whatever the reason, what do you do with a biology degree? You can just become a teacher maybe, right? Um, so my thinking was that I'm going to do BME, right? So that if anything happens, uh, if anything goes wrong, I have a good fallback. Right. And I was on track. Like I'd done a ton of AP courses. I was going to complete that five year degree in three and a half years. But then life had other plans. Man, that sucks. So, what were the plans? And how was it hearing the, that news? The news you're talking about is, is that the fact that I had to leave the country. Right. 
So yeah, so I, I, my entire family had to leave the U.S. very abruptly. Um, it was a forced removal um, or coerced removal, I suppose is the more accurate term. And it was very sudden. Um, it was very dramatic. It was very, very traumatizing because I had to say goodbye to an entire life. Uh, right. I remember, I remember um, I was taken into custody and, you know, if I spent the entire day in a holding cell um, while my, one of my family members was trying to arrange travel documents for us, uh, not knowing whether I'd make it out that day or whether I'd be in that holding cell for months on end. Um, eventually that very same day we were escorted to the airport or my family member met us and he had packed our bags for us. Um, and when we got out of the, of the police vehicle, right, you know, they removed our handcuffs. And I remember I asked my agents if I could have my belongings back and I turned on my phone, saw that it only had 10% battery left and started crying. Right. Uh, because I knew that I had, I only had that 10% to say whatever goodbyes I could. Um, so I called my friends, I called my girlfriend, told her I'd never see her again. Uh, it was brutal. It was brutal. But all of them, all of these people that were a part of my life knew that, you know, this could happen at any moment in time. And sure enough, it did. Um, so, so yeah, then I landed in Karachi 10, 10 years ago. Wow. So now you come to a new country. How was it? And how was it adjusting? It's so different in so many ways, right? Like there's, the, of course, there's a culture shock, um, right? And then the, there's very basic things, right? Like access to electricity was very limited back then. Um, you know, the crime rate was very, very high back then. Uh, there was a lot of political instability when I got here. So all kinds of like, you know, protests and tires burning in the middle of the roads. And um, it was insane. I'd never seen anything like it. And I also hadn't lived in such a large metropolitan city like Houston. You know, Houston is very spread out. Right. It's the fourth largest people. People you know, tend to forget that. But it's so spread out. Like, you know, you don't feel that hustle and bustle of like New York City. Right. Or even like L.A. Um, and so. For me, that in itself was just overwhelming. Like, what's going on? Like, why are there so many people everywhere? And, you know, um, and then on top of that, combine that with bomb blasts, right? And, you know, uh, random people just being shot dead in the streets. Um, like, imagine South Central LA is the entire city, pretty much, right? Um, especially back then, right? It's, it's much calmer now. It's completely under control. Um, but things were haywire. So there was so much to adjust to. Right. Like I had to adjust to the fact that for the first month that I was here, I couldn't find a single person that spoke English because I was living in a really poor part of, part of town. And which is fine. I speak Urdu fluently, but I just wasn't used to it. Right. Like being in an environment where I can't express myself in English. Um, but I mean, yeah, I was here and I didn't know how long I was going to be here. And I decided that, look, I can't stay home. I've got to find some work. Within 30 days of being here, I had landed my first job, uh, which was at a BPO startup uh, doing digital marketing. Okay. So how was that? That was really interesting, you know, because um, the guy, the CEO there really only hired me, according to him, um, because I spoke English well. I passed his cognitive tests uh, and I, you know, was really passionate. Like when I spoke, I was really animated and stuff. So he thought that, you know, he could really train me and make something out of me uh, because I was a blank slate at that point, right? No business education, uh, no business experience. I had done some part-time jobs in the U.S., but nothing, you know, nothing noteworthy. And um, and that guy was like, you know, a very like MD level resource from PricewaterhouseCooper um, and then worked at Sinopec in China, you know, big daddy, right? Um, so he taught me, everything 
that you know a lot of what which I'm even banking on today, strategy, account management, business development, what content really means, project management for app development, uh, a lot of these things, because it was essentially a back office for a company based in Boston. So it was a phenomenal experience. Okay. So how long did you keep that job? Only a few months. Um, you know, but it was good. It was like a little crash course, you know, bachelor's in business for me. Um, and I mean, it, we, we got along really well, like, you know, the CEO, Sam, uh, also Pakistani American grew up in LA. Um, you know, so a lot of, a lot of commonalities there. Uh, then I moved on to a bunch of different roles in communications and advertising, kind of just staying within that same realm. Um, worked at a newspaper for a bit, then worked in a bunch of different ad agencies for a bit. Um, tried to set up my own consulting business at one point. You know, I thought like there's a lot of white spaces in the market that I can probably address um, as an individual consultant. But Pakistan isn't really a conducive market for a single young guy like trying to make it on his own, right? Um, so people chewed me up and spit me out, man. It was it was nuts. I was I was homeless for a few months, like absolute rock bottom, like no money to eat, homeless. How'd you bounce back? I swallowed the hard pill that um, this wasn't working, you know, and and it wasn't going to work. Not only because like I didn't have enough experience and, you know, things I could blame myself for, things I could put, you know, blame on markets and market uh, forces and circumstance. Um, but I had to swallow that hard pill that I have to go back into the job market and I have to sort of, you know, grind for a bit longer. Um, and but then the tough part was like finding the right opportunity. I was lucky enough to then come across something where I, I was uh, given an opportunity to lead a digital agency for the first time. Um, you know, pretty pretty decent setup. Had about twenty clients, like Domino's, uh, and you know, a bunch of like local companies doing really well. So that was fun. I did that for about a year. Um, moved on to another agency uh, where I was working for two years, servicing Unilever as my sole client. And Unilever, everybody knows, um, it's just as big in Pakistan. And um, they are the biggest spender in advertising and marketing by a mile, right? So like naturally, like when you're in the ad agency ecosystem, like that's the tippy top, right? Like you're working with Unilever or you're working with the major telco companies. Um, and so I felt really proud of myself to just make it to that point. Like, all right, I'm here. I'm in that room, um, right? And I, I'm commanding that respect. I'm telling them what to do, right? Like, okay, you want to launch this product. This is how you should do it. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, and during that job, you know, I, I, I pioneered like so many industry firsts. Um, like for example, I was the first person to bring Unilever onto TikTok for influencer campaigns, right? Wow, Cause they were all like, ah, TikTok, TikTok, I don't know. Right now. I remember I fought like it was a month, like several months long battle. I was like, no, you guys got to experiment. Like that's, that's, you know, that's the ethos you have to adopt. Um, and sure enough, we did one. And on the heels of that campaign, we did another one. And on the heels of that campaign, we did another one. And now they're on TikTok like all the time. Right. Um, because it's, it's just crazy. And, um, did a bunch of like marketing technology deployments for them. Um, during that time, I helped develop and launch Pakistan's largest, uh, and first influencer marketing platform. Um, and my first campaign for Unilever through that platform, we rallied 1,000 micro and nano influencers on one campaign. Um, I believe it's still the largest effort anyone's pulled off uh, with influencers. It, it drove us nuts, man. Um, but it's a huge achievement to boast, I think. Nice. So, what year was and this? then, 
This was uh, 2019. Okay, so still early days of TikTok. Early days of TikTok. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it was, it was, you know, already picking up a lot of steam. And, and then after that, I ended up working for TikTok itself, like indirectly. Um, I was working yeah. for the reseller in Pakistan because I was so passionate about the platform by then. I had done all yeah, these yeah. campaigns. I had done all this research. Uh, and I went to the people there. I was like, look, I'm already your biggest ambassador in this industry. Yeah, yeah. So can you just hire me so I can play from your side? And they're like, okay, sounds good. Um, and that was really fun because I got to explore the product in much more depth. And it's an amazing platform. Like from an advertiser's point of view, you know, just phenomenal results, uh, phenomenal engagement, um, really good for top of the funnel, uh, you know, building awareness and things like that. And also even lower funnel campaigns in some industries. After that, that brings us to today. You know, I was at TikTok for just a few months when uh, the co-founder of my current startup, Tastagir, reached out to me and said, you know, hey, we need you on board to help us with marketing, help us with PR. Um, and Oasis, I know because he was my client three years ago. So when I was at that agency, leading that digital agency, he was the head of marketing for Domino's. And, you know, I think we both connected at that point because we were uh, each kind of misfits in our individual roles, right? Um, and so, and so, yeah, he reached out and the rest is history. That's the was the best professional decision I've made. Um, so now I'm part of like a six-man management team. Um, I technically lead marketing and PR, but I also had partnerships and deeply involved in our uh, recruitment function, deeply invo- involved on our fintech product side. And it's been amazing. Yeah, no, that's amazing to hear. So, wow, you've had uh, just life all over the place. Now, what would you say are some of the mistakes you've made along the way? That's a great question. When I started my career, and I mean like my proper white collar career, when I had that first job with a consulting guy, I was 19. And of course, like that was not by design. That was not planned at all, right? I just fell into Karachi. I had to do something. uh, And that was the only job I found. Um, But because I was so young, I was extremely impetuous, right? Like I quit that job within, I think, four months, um, right? Like he eventually realized that I was a workhorse. And I was picking up whatever he was throwing at me super fast. So he put me on a 14-hour night shift because all the clients were in, on, on uh, EST time zone, right? So 14-hour night shift, and I just couldn't handle it, right? And I was just like, this is brutal. I don't want to do this. You know, I don't like the environment. Yeah, I like my boss, but you know, I'm not paid enough. And I made up all these excuses in my mind to justify just leaving that job. You know, and at that point, like my dad was still around. We were living with family. I didn't need the money. So I said, you know what? Screw this. Uh, And I continued to do that for, I think, the first four years, five years of my career, uh, which really, really set me back. Right. Because I was already at a disadvantage competing for like executive positions uh, without a degree. Right. Where other applicants not only have a bachelor's, but they almost always have an MBA as well. Right. I've been competing directly with MBA since I was 23. Um, and it didn't work in my favor that I, my, my CV looked like this, like blotchy, weird, you know, uh, mix of like, OK, four months here, six months here, you know, seven months there. And it just gave the other side more ammunition to talk against me. Right. To not bet on me, to not trust in me. Like, hey, you're you're inconsistent. Right. And you don't have a degree. And like these jobs aren't, don't even align in one field. Like you were in consulting and then you were at a newspaper. So 
um, that's probably the biggest mistake that I made. How has the industry changed over time? Because you mentioned like just the country has really changed over the years, less violence. Can you share some insight into that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so when I, when I came in, I've been doing digital from day one, right? And whatever role that I was in was uh, leveraging digital in one way or the other. Sometimes it was you know, a, a bit of a smaller focus. Sometimes it was a bigger focus. Um, but I think that's the biggest change that I've seen for sure, that uh, digital penetration uh, overall, like internet penetration, smartphone penetration is through the roof, right? Which is also why you ha- we have so many huge startups coming into play uh, and the technology sector has also grown. But just from the advertising and marketing lens, um, the you know, the share of the pie um, of the overall media spend that goes to digital marketing has been increasing like 40, 50% year on year. Um, of course, naturally, we're still very behind uh, developed markets like the US or the UK. But um, it's been amazing for people like me that got involved uh, very early on. Now, again, mind you, it was a mistake. I had no idea what I was doing. Like, oh, this is going to grow really fast and I'm going to get an early stage. Um, it was a mistake. But, but I was lucky because... Today, I'm one of maybe 100, 200 resources in the entire country um, that have experience with digital advertising, digital marketing from the era when Facebook, you know, didn't even have like conversion ads, didn't even have app installs. You know, we used to run ads for page likes. (laughs) So, you know, so... um, so it's been it's been huge, and now with the with the growth in technology, the growth in e-commerce, like e-commerce has taken over, um, and and so for that reason, uh, the focus on digital has really grown, which has really helped people like me. That's amazing. So, looking back, what were the things that you that you did like extremely right? Yeah, I I don't think I've ever thought about it like that, but um, I think so. Early on, I decided like I want to explore. So I, I think I was a year or two years into this where I realized and fully accepted that, you know what, this is my calling. This aligns with my natural talents and what I like to do. I love talking to people. I love solving problems. I'm really good at communication so I can figure out how a brand should communicate and whatnot. Um, and I think early on, I decided that, you know what, I want to explore every facet of this ecosystem. Right. So within advertising, within communications, you have PR, you have journalism, you have, um, you know, and if you're doing advertising, like core advertising within that, you have multiple functions like creative strategy, design, content, so on. Um, And I pretty much worked in all of those roles. So the only things I cannot do today is I cannot design. Uh, I mean, God bless Canva and Figma. Right. But I can't produce a design from scratch um, and I cannot code. Uh, But pretty much everything else that's required under the communications umbrella I can do, or I can work with to a very high degree uh, of confidence. Right. So that's been really amazing because I, that was by design. Like I knew that I was in a strategy role and now I want to get into a client servicing role to understand the sales element. Right. And then I got into that and now I want to get into a different agency altogether. Like I was in a digital agency. I want to get into an activation agency to understand that side of communications. Um, and so after like 10 years of this, now I'm a fully developed communications professional instead of only having done creative my whole life or only having done strategy my whole life, which is what I see all around me. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. So you have an interesting career. So this might be tough. What would you say is your biggest accomplishment? Right, okay. 
biggest accomplishment um so i i i think is is all the earned media I've been able to garner for Dastagir or just in general, what I've been able to pull off for Dastagir. Uh, when I joined the company, there was very little awareness of what we were doing, uh, even within startup ecosystem or uh, the market at large. And, and it's a bit of a complicated offering. Like, you know, the average Joe can't really understand a B2B e-commerce for SME retailers with embedded finance. Like that's a lot of buzzwords, um, you know, but we managed to get a lot of earned media. We managed to get on a, on a ton of like local, regional, international platforms. Um, and that is probably achievement number one. But a close number two is the, is the large influence campaign I told you about. And a close yeah, number three, if I may. What's number three? Yeah, is of that, course. Is you that your, your boy was quoted in the New York Times twice. Really? Um, what? So typically marketing professionals don't get that ever yeah. um but that happened <laughs> how'd you do all right first how'd you do it once and then tell me how you did it twice. <laughs> okay i uh i've been active on linkedin for a while and and that those were early days like i was getting no likes and stuff but somehow this one managed to get a little bit of traction uh tiktok kept getting banned in my country oh um, yes. right and you know about this youtube has also been yeah. banned here facebook was banned for a day and so i think the the second time it happened to something um, this was before I had joined the TikTok site officially, but I was working on those campaigns, like I told you, for Unilever, right? So I was like the fanboy, right? And I was the one betting against everybody else that no TikTok is the future. Um, and it got banned. And I remember it was my client who informed me, like, Seth, have you heard? Um, you know, we got to cancel that campaign. And I was like, no. And so I wrote this outburst on LinkedIn, like from the business lens that, you know, you as the regulator, as the bureaucracy, like screw you and go to hell and blah, blah, blah. Uh, like I wrote my whole argument about how, why this hurts advertisers uh, and this hurts publishers um, and how influencers were now starting to rely on that, on that platform as a source of income. Right. And there's an entire ecosystem that you're just, you're forcing to close up shop overnight. Right. And so Reporters saw that he's like, hey, can I get a quote from you for this article that I'm working on about the ban? And I was like, sure. Uh, <laughs> so so it was pretty much inbound. Um, and then because he liked my statements the first time around when he was doing a follow up story because it, the ban got reversed, he reached out again himself. He was kind enough to do that. That's awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm happy with that. <laughs> now, what are, that's your biggest accomplishment. What would you say you're most proud of? Are they not uh, mutually exclusive? They could be. They could be yeah. the same, but they could be well, different. No. Well, I mean, you know, these are, these are so, pride. I, so I feel like I can say that I'm proud of the, of the entire thing, right? I mean, where I am, you know, today uh, is a sum of all of my experiences and all of my achievements. I only told you the top three, right? And, and I mean, I, I shit you not, right? I was homeless four years ago. Uh, today, I mean, I had zero money. I had no place to live. Um, and today I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm firmly in the top 1% uh, of salary professionals in the country. Um, I am in a very prestigious role in a very prestigious company that people would die for. And uh, if somebody was to come and replace me, they'd be coming in with eight to 10 years of experience on top of an MBA. Um, so for me, it's just the fact that I'm alive. I'm thriving. I I'm doing what I love. Like, I tell people this, especially when I speak to people in the West, I'm like, look, listen, I'm 29. I'm doing what I love. Like, they're like, what? 
what do you mean? Right? Like, how did you, how did you manage to like, you must be, you must be running your own business. I'm like, no, no, it's a job. It's a job, but I managed to find one that aligns with my interests, my mission in life, you know, my personal goals, my career goals, um, gives me the kind of uh, culture that I, that I appreciate, gives me the kind of autonomy that I'm, uh, you know, always vying for. So for me, I am very proud of myself. And it's just because of the fact that I was able to overcome all of these hardships um, and be where I am today. Like, you know, I could, I could die today and I'd be a happy man. That's amazing, man. I'm, I'm happy for you. So looking back, how do you look back at that period when you were homeless? Because it's one thing to experience it. How did it feel when it actually happened to you? It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And it was worse than being deported. Um, because the thing about like, you know, being forced to leave the country, that was something that was building up for many, many years. Right. So I had, I had more than enough time to come to terms and accept that reality. Right. Whereas the homelessness was far more abrupt. And, and I mean, I had such blind faith in myself that I thought I'm going to make it, I'm going to get that payment. I'm going to get that project. Uh, and I'll pull through this. And I really didn't expect it to go that far. And when it did, it was, uh, it was weird. Like I, I try to tell people about it and, and I don't really know how to communicate what those feelings were, what that mindset was. Um, it was a very dark place. And naturally, like when you're in that position, you, you know, can't really blame anyone but yourself. Like for me, my inner monologue was how did I allow this to happen? So I'd be, just, I'd be just lying on my bed and, you know, I would typically, I would only have enough money if I did to have one piece of bread and one egg a day. Right. Um, and I'd be lying on my bed, just dying of hunger, which I think hunger in itself has like some sort of psychedelic effect. And my inner monologue was, how did I allow this to happen? How did I allow this to get, get so bad? And, uh, and I wasn't even able to look forward like, okay, how can I fix this? Right. It took me a long time. So I was in that period for a good three, four months where I had no money. Um, and then I was homeless for two months. So a good six months, you know, it took me to sort of just come to terms with it and then be like, okay, now let's look forward. Um, it's okay. It was because for me, I was, I hated myself. I distanced myself from all of my closest friends because I knew that if I had told them or if they came over and they saw me, because I'm already like a pretty skinny guy and I had lost 20 pounds. Right. Um, so I know that if they saw me, they'd be here every day right? With like home cooked meals and, you know, bringing me drinks and water and whatever I needed. Um, and I didn't want anybody to go through that. I didn't want anybody to be, you know, so bothered because of me. Um, so it was really tough. Uh, and I made it tougher on myself by, by isolating myself, um, and kind of just, you know, self-flagellating, like, you know, you're an idiot, you're a failure. This was your fault. Um, you know, to myself. And eventually I think when I had had enough, I woke up one day and I was like, okay, well, this is the lowest that low can go. Um, so now, you know, I have to look forward and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you really what the driving force is between behind all of this, like the whole 10 year journey uh, and what pulled me out of that dark spot. My mother lives in India. Like I mentioned, I haven't seen her in seven years. Right. Um, so we've been living apart for 10 years, but I've only seen her once, uh, which was seven years ago. Um, and that's my mother and my sister. And I decided at a very early age that I have to do something for her, right? Like she lives in a rented home. Uh, she has a small source of income, but can't really afford to do anything 
uh, with her life. And so neither can my sister, right? And I decided that I got to do something for them. So four years ago, when I was in that dark hole that I had pretty much dug for myself, I was like, well, I can either kill myself. You know, these are the only two options I have. I can either kill myself or I can pull myself out for my moms, right? And I decided to do that. I was like, you know, I, I hate this. I don't want to go back into the job market. I, my pride, my ego has been shattered, but I got to do this for moms. That's powerful because those low moments are just so low and they really test you, right? They really test your character. They really test, you really know who you are, right? Those, they and, reveal yeah, those so- are defining moments. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you mentioned this. Earlier on, obviously, the lack of the college degree held you back. How has it impacted you like in current roles and current opportunities? Yeah, I think I was having this conversation just a while back. It's been about, I think, three years where I no longer feel the need, where I no longer feel uh, the blocker. Um, So even today, I can't go and work in an international corporation, right? Like I can't go into Nestle and be like, hey, I want to work as a marketing manager whatever it may be, because you know how it is, massive global policies, you know, very regimented, you know, stuck in their little box. Um, and to be honest, I don't think I could thrive in that environment anymore either, right? With the level of autonomy I'm used to and whatnot. So um, that kind of career path is closed off to me, but there's an entire world out there. And, you know, I've now uh, tasted it and I'm pretty sure that I can only ever work in startups moving forward. Um, and typically, founders won't care about educational backgrounds. Um, you know, uh, founders are only looking for results. Um, and so naturally, if I'm having that conversation with the founder, it's more about what I've done um, and less about, you know, where I'm coming from, what organizations I've worked in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they don't even care about tags, right? Like, oh, you were in Tesla, like, whatever. Like, what did you achieve, right? Um, you know, it's, it's usually the mindset. So I think I've lucked out in that way where I decided that that was going to be my focus. Like I remember I used to tell my employers this, my bosses this as well, that I'm coming into a role and I'm looking at it. And when I'm in that role, I'm looking at it in a way that what are those key bullet points that I'm going to be able to put on my CV, right? So account director at XYZ agency is nothing, right? What did I do while I was an account director? So I need to do outstanding projects. I'm not interested in run-of-the-mill work, right? Like, oh, they need a basic press release. Why don't you do that? I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. But when, when is that outstanding project going to come along? When are we going to pitch for it? When are we going to make it happen? Because we have to push for it. It's my vested interest. Um, and when I hire, when I have direct reports, I tell them the same thing. Like, you have to engineer your career in a way where you have a series of achievements to talk about. Don't think of it as a timeline. Don't think of it as, you know, okay, I was an account executive, account manager, account director, right? Think of it as like just, you know, boosted clients, uh, you know, revenue by 400%, um, improved conversion rate by 45%. That's what I care about. And that's what future employers will care about. Okay, no, that's nice. Now, let's kind of take it back to education. How do you personally think the education system can be improved for someone like you? <laughs> <laughs> business education is is a bit of a joke, uh, especially right. So it's it reply it relies on heuristics and frameworks um, that are completely outdated and out of touch with what's happening uh, in the real world. Especially today, where disruptive business models 
are in play all around us, right? The Teslas and the Ubers and the Amazons. Um, so business school doesn't cover this uh, well enough, right? And so for me, uh, so back then I was trying to go into a STEM career. And even now, if I meet a young student, I'm, you know, I'm trying to mentor someone and they're in STEM, I very much advise them to stay in school. If I meet a young kid who's trying to do business, like anything, you know, who wants to work in a white collar role or wants to start up his own shop, I'm like, dude, just leave, just leave college, right? Like, um, because the, the framework isn't there for you to be able to extract actual actionable learning, right? What you're learning is heuristics and those heuristics no longer apply in the real world, right? A great example of this is like, um, one of our local schools offers an entrepreneurship major. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Wait, wait, wait. I, and I remember I went to that university. I spoke to the faculty as well. I'm like, what are you teaching? Please tell me. And you in the faculty, how many of you are entrepreneurs? Like, what? What in the world? But people are buying into it, right? Young kids are buying into it, paying that tuition, thinking that okay, this is going to set me up to improve my family business, or you know, I, I've always wanted to start my own fashion boutique, and now I'm going to be able to have the tools. No, you're not. The only way you have the tools to do business is by doing, um, because right now there isn't a better framework that exists in the world. So that's where the education system is really lacking. Um, you know, especially in smaller markets like Pakistan, there's not enough involvement between academia and corporate, right? There's not enough industry linkage. Like that's one way to improve it at least a little bit, right? Um, and it's an area that's hugely lacking uh, that I'm really interested in. You know, I go to these universities and I try to get involved as much as I can. But what I'm doing, I'm barely making a dent, you know, one guy. Now, what would you tell like an 18 year old today? You know, they're trying to do, you know, go down your route. What advice would you give them? If you're again, same thing, if you're going trying to go down my route where I today work at a startup and I am a marketing professional, I also do strategy, you know, I do comms. Um, if this is the kind of work you're interested in, the best thing for you to do is to not waste your money on a university, right? Take courses online, um, which you can take for about maybe one tenth of the cost of a, uh, uh, of a, of college tuition. Right. There are programs like Reforge, Google Squared, um, right. So many certifications out there that will teach you a lot more than a degree ever will, because those programs have entirely been designed by industry professionals. Right. There's no academia in those programs. Right. That's all just hardcore facts. Like you want to go day one on the job. This is how you set up a campaign. You want to go day one on the job in an agency. This is how you look at a creative. This is how you make a business plan. And that's what you need. Right. So that when you're going into an interview, you can actually have real examples to show that you've worked on in your courses. Like, here's my business plan for a theoretical footwear brand. Here's my campaign for that theoretical footwear brand, right? Here's my P&L for that theoretical. So that's what you need. And my advice would be to just focus on, understand that if you take that path where you don't want to go into formal learning, um, accept that it's going to be a bit more difficult right? Except that it's going to be a bit more challenging. The self-taught, you know, autodidact path is very non-linear, at least in my experience. Um, and it's very difficult to stay disciplined, right? So like when you're in a university, that's why you go to university because of that structure, right? Like, okay, you've got these four courses this semester. This is the time for classes. These are your midterms. These are your finals. 
Um, and when you're trying to learn on your own, you're like, okay, well, you know what? I don't really feel like it today. You know, you know what? I want to take two months off and I want to do another course later. You know, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. And it's very easy to lose track. Um, so always be reading, always be learning, always be improving. If you think you can embrace that mindset and that lifestyle, then absolutely skip on the degree. Um, if you think that that might be a question mark, then don't risk it. Don't risk your career on it and take the degree option. Nice. I love that. What would you tell your 18-year-old self? <laughs> it's going to be okay. We're going to be fine. Because, <laughs> because when I was 18, you know, I mean, I told you, like, I was in that, I was in community college um, thinking that I will transfer to uh, University of Houston's uh, engineering program, uh, but that never happened. And, and you know, I, I would just tell myself to be a little bit more patient uh, with whatever challenges come my way. Though, and, you know, and 18-year-old me would be like, what are you talking about? Like, that's a lot to ask, right? Like, there's already, we've already seen a lot, right, in, in the 18 years. Um, but yeah, I would somehow convince myself to be more patient and to just be a little less hard on myself. Let's say you turn 18 years old. You're 18 right now. What are you doing in this market? What's the, what are you doing? In Pakistan? Yeah, in Pakistan. You're 18 years old. You, you, yeah. you have an idea, right? What are you doing? Yeah, I'd follow that same journey I just um, outlined, right? I'd wanna, I'd wanna pick up those few courses, those few certifications, um, and once I have some marketable skills, uh, I'd wanna push that on some people. So I'll tell you how I got two of the jobs that I have, two of the best jobs I've had in my career. I so people will send cold notes, right? Like, hi, Janae, I'd love to be on your podcast. Like, that's a cold note. You don't know me. I don't know you. Um, and if it resonates, you reach out, right? You reply back. Um, so instead of sending a cold note, uh, in two, on two occasions, I sent an entire cold proposal, right? Like I studied their business inside out, whatever information was available online, whatever was available on their LinkedIn. I called people like, Hey, do you know Junaid? Like, you know, what, what's his reputation? Like, you know, what kind of projects does he do? Uh, what does he not do? Uh, so on and so forth. And then I made those proposals. Like these are the gaps in your business. Um, you know, these are the white spaces. This is how I can add value, like a pitch, like a proper pitch. Um, and I got the job both times. So for young people as well, like, I think this is something that's highly underrated, just cold notes in general. And um, if you can, you know, build proposals as well. So at the age of 18, I'd want to be picking up skills wherever I can, Coursera, edX, whatever it may be, right? And then pushing those skills onto some people, like reaching out to you, like, hey, I see you're doing resumes. Can I help you do some, you know, virtual assistant work because I've done X, Y, Z? Um, and you'd be like, okay, like this kid will probably do it for peanuts, <laughs> right? So, yeah. um, so that's how it is. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Now, what are your future goals? I, I want the world and everything in it. Okay. Um, I like that. Is that, is that precise enough? <laughs> I, that is, I, that, I look, I like that mentality. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it is for me. It's day one every day, um, and I, you know, I have huge ambitions, um, and I don't think that's ever going to go away. My future goal is to become a founder myself. I'm trying to find that perfect vertical, you know, that right product that really resonates with me, that aligns with my mission. Um, for the time being, it's it's the same goal uh, that I mentioned. I want to keep collecting those trophies, keep collecting those achievements. Um, where my portfolio sort of speaks for itself, right? Um, which like today, today, like knock on wood, like, like 
you know, it's there. It's pretty much there, right? I'm not at a level like where I'm like a CEO or something, but it's pretty much there. Like I'm one of those people in the market that people call and they can rely on, right? I'm a mentor on so many platforms. I'm constantly speaking here and there. And that's only happening because people are aware of what I've been able to do. Um, so I want to take that, you know, keep expanding that to, to new and new heights. So what's something you want to share that you haven't shared already? Um, one thing I think I'd say is that, uh, which might be relevant for your audience as well. And it'd be interesting to get your perspective on this. So when I introduced myself, I said I was a strategy and communications generalist, right? And that's how I've branded myself, right? Like, you know how everybody has a thing, right? Like, um, and that's my shtick. That's my gimmick. And I would also say that in today's world where everything is interconnected, um, and if you're also, if you're even remotely interested in tech and startups, becoming a generalist is the way to go. I became a generalist by accident because like I mentioned, my learning path was nonlinear, right? Like I would go into a strategy position thinking that I will only do hardcore strategy, but I ended up doing more project management in that role than anywhere else. But it's okay because I learned project management. Now that's part of my toolkit, right? Then I went into a creative role thinking that I would just be writing content all day. I ended up doing more strategy in that creative role, right? So, okay, I'll take it. Like it's in my toolkit. Um, and nine years later, like I have this weird toolkit, right? Like it does not fit into any one typical job function. Um, but I love it because now when I'm working in a startup, like I mentioned early on, like all these different functions that I'm involved in, I'm doing it because I enjoy it. And also I'm able to add so much value to my company because I'm not a specialist, right? So this is something that structured learning pulls you away from, uh, usually. So to the young people out there, you know, this is my two cents on this, that um, opting for the generalist path opens up more doors for you. And also, if you're at all interested in eventually becoming an entrepreneur like I am, you have to know a little bit of everything anyway. Right. So that's kind of how I've been training myself as well. Um, so what do you think about this? Do you think generalist versus specialist or? I think they both have their merits and stuff. Uh, I will say as an entrepreneur, being the generalist really gives you a lot of vision and allows you to move quickly, right? It doesn't pigeonhole yourself and stuff. Um, but you know, the, the quote, uh, a jack of all trade, what is it? Jack of all trades, master of none. But more often than, but more often than not, uh, what does it say? More often than not, better than a master of one. Yes, yes, yes. Uh. So that's, you know, the full quote, cause you know, most people know the beginning of the quote, but you know, the full quote. So yeah. I'm a big fan, like, Get your general skills. And then if you need to go deep, you know, there's a time to go deep. But I think as an entrepreneur, you need to have that general ability. You need to have, because like you said before, you have to know enough to be able to talk at a high level to understand whether or not you're getting ripped off and stuff. So that's very important. So let's, let's wrap up. How would people support you and follow you? Uh, please follow me on LinkedIn. It's the only platform I'm active on. I hate all of the social media. <laughs> really? You're good at ads and stuff. You don't do the, okay. Yeah, man. I, I do it for brands day in, day out. So I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to put up an Insta story. I don't want to do any of that. Just, you know, follow yeah. me on LinkedIn where, um, where I document my, my career, which is my whole life essentially anyway. So thank you so much for your time. This was such a cool and real episode. Thanks for keeping it real. Really appreciate you. And I know the audience got so much value from you. I love it. Thanks so much for having me. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. 
This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show's worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. No degree.com. Yeah. So you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem? We can solve we them. Got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. Growing in and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.